Nobody questions things in this country anymore. Nobody wants to rock the boat. It's all bullshit, folks. It's all bullshit, and it's bad for you. But we believe them because they're pounded into our heads from the time we're children. Children should be taught to question everything, to question everything they read, everything they hear. You're listening to Question Culture History Edition with Brian, Steve, and Lornette. On these special History Edition episodes, we discuss American history using A People's History of the United States by Howard Zinn as our guide. On this episode, we'll be discussing Chapter 13, The Socialist Challenge. How's it going, guys? Hey, everybody. Hope you all are staying safe. I'm excited to talk some history. Hey, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I keep them short and sweet. All right. Well, thank you, Steve. Uh, hi, everybody. Lord Vestal, he, him, bad mofo, pronouns. Since I know that on the Twitter machine, people hate that. But uh, you can check check out threads. Uh, Zuckerberg's answer to, to Twitter because capitalism is so innovative. Uh, you can check me out at the Evolving Man LBV on the Twitter machine. Lord Vestal on the Book of Faces. Um, you can also check out the Evolving Man project website where i deep dive into some of the uh, topics we discuss on our uh, regular non-history question culture edition and also um, if you want to get some summer reading in you can check out the uh, faders and alpha series written by myself and my lovely wife bernita haynes who's a guest on the supreme court um podcast episode and yeah so we're talking about some history let's get into it uh, Howard Zinn, that that goddamn traitor to everything he stood for in America. He was a he was a World War II bombarder, a soldier, uh, pilot, and then he wrote a book of praising socialists in American history. <laughs> it's starting, it's starting to get banned more and more uh, throughout the country too. Like I think Florida did. And so it's funny, it'll be like, you know, maybe a decade in the future, that's like our whole, we'll have like all these episodes <laughs> about yeah. a banned book that's <laughs> not even allowed anymore. So, God forbid we teach American history through the lens of actual regular working people and give yeah. them an alternative. I wonder, you, you brought up Zuckerberg and that threads thing in Twitter too. It is funny, like... Anyone on Twitter is kind of seeing like up close what it's like, like when a billionaire comes in and just like destroys a company and turns it, you know, splits into a bunch, a million different pieces and then goes on his way. Cause like it is kind of crazy, like how quickly he's like completely tanked the app and like how much worse it's gotten since then. And you know, pretty much everyone is like assuming like his, he, the whole time he just wanted to, you know, destroy it basically. And it's just funny. I mean, anyone, is. It's just surprising me that there's still so many people who think like billionaires are like smarter than than everyone else, where it's like these people are clearly just as stupid as, you know, any average person. They just have more money than most average people. So they can do they can put their stupid ideas out there. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Well, I I like the whole meme. uh, And this is on Twitter. Speaking of Elon Musk, of who's a what's a who's a. What's a stupid? What's a dumb person's ideal of a smart person? And his his face kept popping up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think uh, him and then Joe Rogan were like probably the two, but all the usual characters like Jordan Peterson. I saw a lot of. Uh, uh, who's the? 
uh, uh, Andrew Tate, which, ah, it's so nice. It's so, I love when these fucking evil, stupid people get locked up <laughs> and put in jail. And it's like, it's like so nice to know that we won't have to like hear all their stupid yeah, shit. Yeah, but their poison ideas are like out there forever. So I can't believe I some guy, brother, like Andrew Tate, like took off and just like, who's like, he's not even like when I, I, I heard a couple of his interviews and I'm just like, what the fuck is he even saying? Like, I don't, this doesn't even sound stupid. Like the one who's the only person of those who sounds sort of coherent are like Joe Rogan and like Jordan Peterson. And if you're a critical thinker, you can basically call them on their bullshit. And Joe Rogan, not even, about, not even Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson's like one of those guys who uses a bunch of words but doesn't really say anything. Oh yeah, definitely. You know? He's kind of like Joe Shapiro. Rogan is like an average guy, but I also don't think Joe Rogan is like I don't know. He's not as bad as those other guys, in my opinion. Just as far as I don't know, he was he to me like Joe Rogan is just like what you would expect if you had like a dumb jock with a podcast. Like you have an MMA fighter who like has a podcast and like. He talks to some cool people, but like a lot of the time, like especially with politics or history or nutrition or things, his shit is just fucking stupid. And he has stupid guests on and just say a bunch of stupid shit. So I don't think he's like a bad person per se. Where I think like Jordan, like Andrew Tate especially, is like a fucking asshole. And like Jordan Peterson, I think, is like especially like hateful and grifty and stuff. So, but I don't know. It's. <laughs> I kind of wish they were just all go away. It's like all these like celebrities that I never like seek out yet. I know like I never see ever sought out like any Jordan Peterson or like Andrew Tate shit yet. Like somehow it like ends up, you know, like on my feeds and stuff and mostly just people talking about how stupid they are. But still, it's like it's nice that like Andrew Tate's going to prison and like going away. <laughs> what, what, what is he going to prison for? Sex uh, trafficking. Human trafficking. Uh, okay. <laughs> He went. He moved to Romania because, like, you know, it was lenient laws there to allow him to like sex traffic women. Uh, because he's such a great guy, and and obviously, you know, uh, forcing women into slavery definitely makes you a lady man, ladies man, <laughs> according to Andrew Tate. That was Andrew. So Andrew Tate was like a kickboxer, like a world champion kickboxer or something. And then his whole he started a podcast, and the whole thing was all about like oh you know men need to be more manly and men are having their rights taken away and you know women should be in the kitchen and men should earn all the money and whatever so it was like podcast got really big and then that's what the funny part too he's like i'm i'm moving to romania because they have more lax laws but then he like <laughs> gets arrested and in prison there anyway so it's like <laughs> oh and the funny thing is like how it has like oh sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just thinking it's like funny. It's like apparently Romania is not like as backwards, you know, country as you think it is, Andrew. It's just funny. Well, he's a, he's a moron. So, of course, he thought thought it was like that. But what's so funny is how he got caught and how the authorities found out where he was at because he had some he had a Twitter beef with an 18 year old uh, girl, the lady, the young lady, um, Greta Thunberg. And I guess I can say young lady because I'm almost 40 oh, now. Yeah, that's right. I yeah, fuck, yeah. feel old. <laughs> 18. I remember I I was 18 back in 2001. (laughs) But uh, she basically called him out. I mean, he basically was like, she talked about, she's, you know, she's a climate activist and probably one of the most well-known young people who are, you know, a climate activist. Although there's so many more young people doing great things. Uh, Not just her. uh, She's just one of many, but she got the biggest platform. And then he basically like, I got 15 million cars, Greta. And it's like, dude, why are you, you're a grown ass man. You're like in your mid thirties. Why are you being 
an insecure asshole trying to troll an 18-year-old girl. Like, real fucking mature. Um, and he got caught because he posted some stupid video with him eating a pizza and smoking a cigar in his robe. Because um, that, that, that's cool. I, I smoke cigars in, in my robe while eating a box of pizza. Uh, and the pizza happened to be a uh, restaurant in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, one of the cities in Romania. So the authorities were able to locate him. So his dumbass gave him his own location away. So if you're so smart, because he said he's super smart, like he doesn't even read books because everything, smartest guy in the world, everything in his brain is super smart, and he doesn't need to add information in there because his brain's already super smart. It's kind of like the rapper uh, J Cole who has a lyric like "My mind is working like Play-Doh," but then a few years ago on Twitter, he got into another Twitter beef with apparently a young lady, a young rapper who was probably. 15 or 20 years his junior and basically he was all in his feelings about something and said he doesn't read books <laughs> <laughs> because basically the young lady told him why don't you go for it and read a book he's like I don't read a book but I'm like you have a lyric talking about your mind's working like Plato you know Plato did he read some books um, so for the grown men on social media if you're an idiot just, just be an idiot it's alright the world needs idiots you know some of them some of the idiots are great people but some idiots are assholes. And when you, you, you're you trolling a, a young lady or some woman on Twitter and you're a grown-ass man, it makes it doesn't make you look cool. It makes you look like a fucking loser. So uh, I hope J- Andrew Tate enjoys his time in jail. It's a weird, like, it's such a weird time, too, where, like, all these fucking dumb people are, like, using these, like, phrases. Because, there was, you know, there's, like, woke, obviously, that's been bastardized. But then there's... So, like, I noticed, like, all, like, Andrew Tate fans and people, they're like, you know, the system is the Matrix. So, like, I'm doing shit to break out of the Matrix, man. But, like, if you, like, look at, like, what he says, everything he says is extremely, like, pro-capitalist. You know, it's like, make as much money as you can and, and you know, buy all these fancy cars and shit. And it's like, dude, you are, like, the definition of, like, just some tool in the Matrix. Like, it's, <laughs> it's just, I don't know, it's fucking... Like, yeah, dumb people looking up to dumb people, I guess. I don't know. And then these people what get these major platforms. That's the crazy thing about it. But they just get put on. And and Andrew Tate, like, they, he basically had a pyramid scheme, and it put him on. And there's other folks like that guy um, who have their, their podcast and work just be, you know, and, they, and they're reaching out to a lot, of, a lot of guys. I mean, that's definitely a future podcast we could do about these like the manosphere that could just be a great one in yeah. the future since we're basically two, we're basically a bunch of guys have a podcast but we're not like our <laughs> women belong in the kitchen first off i told my wife that she would laugh and then she'd stab me but uh, <laughs> i can slap her and ask my get me a beer woman but you know you guys will never hear from me again because she murdered me so um and not because i'm a a, a cuck as these manosphere people say you got you got your by the balls. It's just like she she's a lady who has respect for herself and um will not take no shit from nobody. So Yeah, we're just married to strong independent women. <laughs> yep. How horrible. How terrible. Oh my I god, know. I'm not a real man. I'm not I a real can't man. Take either. It. I'm not a real I need to I need to beat the shit out of my girlfriend and like, you know, tell her give me a beer <laughs> and have her have a bunch of babies and be barefoot in the kitchen making me a sandwich. <laughs> real it's man. It's crazy like it's crazy how like the how much the economy controls like social behavior because like 
in so many ways we're like regressing like as the empire crumbles and it's like even things yeah like like masculinity it's like uh, you know because there's so many things to like oh my god men are you know they're not graduating as from college as much as women now and there's this like crisis of masculinity and like people are like freaking out and like we need to go back to the 50s when men and it's just like I don't know, it's just interesting to watch, like, the social behavior kind of crumble and regress along with the economics. And and let's be honest, Brian and and Steve, the 1950s fucking sucked. Like, (laughs) they're only good if you're a well-off white guy, like, at least in the United States. Like, for everybody else, like, if you're a housewife living in suburbia and you're a white woman, you're probably on fucking uppers. (laughs) And if you were black, you had no rights because it was Jim Crow era. And if you were a Latino, you had no rights because it was Jim Crow era. And if you were Asian, you had no rights because it was Jim Crow era. So, um, yeah. Well, that's like a funny phenomenon, too, is like everybody looks back to their childhood with like rose colored glasses. So they just like assume the whole world was better back then. But it's like really at all points in history, it's was different for different people for some people it was awesome at that time for other people it was fucking horrific and that's true of like every decade ever you know so uh, it's funny um all right but you want (laughs) to actually get into some history here well speaking of like a a decade let's talk about some history (laughs) yeah um so i guess we'll start with the the early 1900s, as the Zoomers say, <laughs> as opposed to the late 1900s when we were born. Um, but the, the first thing I kind of caught my eye in the chapter, and this kind of wasn't really related to anything else, and I think we might have mentioned it on the podcast before, but he does mention it again in this chapter, um, Upton Sinclair's novel, The Jungle. Um, Howard Zinn writes, um, The Jungle, published in 1906, brought the conditions in the meatpacking plants of Chicago to the shocked attention of the whole country and stimulated demand for laws regulating the the meat industry, but also through the story of an immigrant laborer uh georges rudkiss it spoke of socialism and how beautiful life might be if people cooperatively cooperatively owned and worked and shared in the riches of the earth the jungle was first published in the socialist newspaper appeal to reason it was then read by millions as a book and was translated into 17 languages so I did not know that it was actually first pub, uh, published in a socialist newspaper. And I think it is important for people to know. I mean, at this time, newspapers were the, the main form of, um, you know, getting the news and, and just mass media, basically, at the time. And there were a lot of different newspaper companies, and a lot of them were socialist. And that kind of led to the, you know, along with the... <laughs> the the economy that's always going in and out of a recession in this country um people it was kind of the way that socialism as ideas and really what we mean by socialism is workers actually rising up because we're actually in the thick of the industrial revolution right now and for the first time in human history people are being crammed into cities and in horrible um um you know warehouses and things working in, in horrendous conditions and so that's kind of why there's this blooming of, of socialist thought and ideas. You know, people want, want to live lives of dignity. And I just, I don't know, when I was reading about, thinking about this book, The Jungle, again, we're kind of back to that point. And I don't know if we can, I don't know if there's a way to spread these ideas like there was back then. Because, I mean, if we just look at, like, 
Monsanto, for example. Like I know they got bought out by Bayer now. So ooh, great, the company that was formed that was a Nazi company is you know I'm sure they'll do a lot better job. But um, Monsanto's basically like poisoned the fucking food supply in the country. And like I heard some people talking about on a podcast how like fruits and vegetables have like no fucking flavor here anymore. And it's because they fucking poison and and uh, use pesticides on fucking everything. Like, I remember when I went to Iceland, literally fucking everything tasted better. Just, like, the little bit of, like, salad you get before your meal just had more flavor. And it's because other countries don't allow their food to be poisoned like the U.S. does. So the jungle was about, you know, horrendous conditions and meatpacking industries. Well, our food's being poisoned again. They're undoing child labor laws. I just saw... Um, an article about some kid died now working in some fucking factory job or something horrendous and it was like a crazy like 11 o'clock at night or something so we have kids dying of child labor in the in the meatpacking industry and then we have horrendous poison food yet i don't know just like the age of information we live in without like backing by a major media company these stories are only seen by a few people who search them out and like i don't know if it'll they can you know there's so much noise now with the age of information and everyone on their phones all the time i'm not even sure you can like get a story like that out you know it'll just be squashed at one level or another i kind of related that to like cornell west too like i'm so happy he's running i think he's an amazing speaker a great candidate but because he's not running as a Democrat, they're not going to allow him in anything. So I think 75, 80, 85% of the population won't even know that he's fucking running. And I just, I don't know, I'm interested about how, if there's like a way we can like get out of the, you know, like to get a story out of the noise to like actually do something about like these issues. Well, I, I, yeah, I I agree with you that kind of weird and this weird um, regression in the 2020s to basically uh, be like we were in the 2019 1920s uh, with prohibition and banning of things and kids working in factories again and and everybody basically being poor and and a few rich people living the most lavish outlandish ridiculous life ever while um while millions and millions of people um you know fall away in the wayside or you know basically scrape by a living uh, barely, you know, making ends meet. And so, yeah, it's, it's a lot of, you know, regression to all the progress that we did make over the last 30, 40 years. And we're still, you know, reeling from, um, the, I think, the worst decade, uh, one of the worst decades of the, of the modern times, uh, the decade I was born in, the 1980s, I guess uh, all of us were, um, when Reagan started. And I think it's real funny with that asshole Biden talking about Bidenomics. You mean Reaganomics 4.0 now? <laughs> it's just it's just the same thing. Uh, ways for the rich to get richer and poor to get poorer. But I do think um, one hopeful sign uh, was the candidacy of um, Bernie Sanders um, in 2016, 2020, which is kind of, he was reluctantly won, I mean, ran. Uh, he didn't win. I wish he would have won because um, he was my compromise candidate. Um because they are like, oh, no one can win at the third party. But it's like... But that's the thing is, he kind of did win, and then they just shut him out. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, they, they shut him out. But the thing is, those ideas have not completely gone away. Um, that's, the, that's, the, that's the issue right there. So just like in this time, in the, 19, in the turn of the last century, um, those ideas was, um, was connecting with people 
because they were hitting a real court. Um, when Elton Sinclair wrote The Jungle, he was talking about the working conditions that millions of people were working in in the United States at the time. So when Bernie was talking about medical debt and why, how many people have it, he's talking about the lives of countless tons of people who have medical debt, who basically like lost their whole entire life savings because they got sick, which is something humans do, or student loan debt. Um, you know, he, he, I wish he would have talked more against, against the military industrial complex, but obviously he was a politician who's bald and sold like the, the rest of them. He just has a little more integrity than, than at one point before he started, you know, bending over backwards for Biden. Um, he should have just retired or something, but I digress. Um, those ideas are spread and they're still a critical mass of young people who look at um, social justice issues in a favorable way. Even if you have the so-called man of spirit type people and the, and the media pundits and the so-called, you know, people like Elon Musk, who's a rich billionaire who a bunch of assholes suck up to talking about the woke mind hive is trying to destroy us. Um, you have a lot of people who look at the unionization efforts over the last three years uh, in this country. Um, look at more and more people when Bernie Sanders was running for office, uh, high office, a lot of people looked at socialism and were like, oh, this doesn't sound too bad. It was one of the uh, most searched things on Google and Bing and other uh, search engines at that time. So these ideas, they do ebb and flow and, and they do spread. And I think that's why the powers that be have those see in this um, part of the uh, people's history of the United States, uh, why this is, why this information is you know, repressed, put down, because these are ideas that the average you know person can get behind. All right, that's true. I'll stop being so pessimistic. <laughs> oh, well, there's a lot uh, to be, a lot to be, you know, down about and depressed, but there's also a lot of hopeful stuff, and I think that's that's just the ebb and flow of history, as we see with this uh, chapter in uh, people's history of the United States, the socialist challenge. That that that's true, and I think no matter what, whether we like it or not, the environmental collapse that's coming or that is occurring, um, really starting to pick up steam too. Um, that's going to force humanity's hand. So we'll, it'll be interesting to see what direction we go in. Um, I do think, like, even in this chapter, like, the working conditions, they were worse working conditions than what we have in America nowadays, I would say. At least, like, uh, when he, like, talked about how many people every year died, I looked up modern stats for that, and it was way, way less. You know, like, there's OSHA now, and, you know... At least, like, your factories are, like, air-conditioned usually and have light yeah. bulbs and shit, not, like, gas lanterns. Yeah, and they're not lo- literally locking you in. <laughs> yeah, what right. the yeah. fuck? Yeah. That was insane. Yeah. That garment that factory um, um, fire. Yeah. And yeah. just, like, the, I'll this... About- yeah, go ahead. Yeah, there's a garment factory, and basically the city's fire department ladders don't reach past the seventh floor, so... This fire took place above the seventh floor, and the doors were supposed to open outwards, but they didn't, and they were locked so that they can keep track of the workers. And basically, like, hundreds of women and children died, some of them trying to avoid the fire, just start jumping out the windows, piling bodies onto the street. Yeah. Hey, Let me hear. I'll read. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Lorna. Well, no, I was ahead. actually going to read it, but the, you go ahead if you want to, Brian. Okay. Um, Howard Zinn writes, The conditions in the factories did not change much. On the afternoon of March 25, 1911, a fire at the Triangle Shirtwaist Company that began in a rag bin swept through the 8th, 9th, and 10th floors too high for fire ladders to reach. 
The fire chief of New York had said that his ladders could reach only the seventh floor, but half of New York's 500,000 workers spent all day, perhaps 12 hours, above the seventh floor. The law said factory doors had to open outward, but at the Triangle Company, the doors opened in. The law said that the doors could not be blocked during the work hours, but at the Triangle Company doors were usually the doors were usually locked so that the company could keep track of the employees. And so, trapped, the young women were burned to death at their work tables or jammed against the locked exit doors or leaped to their deaths down the elevator shafts. Um, and then he goes on to write, When it was over, 146 triangle workers, mostly women, were burned or crushed to death. There was a memorial parade down Broadway and 100,000 marched. There were more fires and accidents and sickness. In the year 1904, 27,000 workers were killed on the job in manufacturing, transportation, and agriculture. In one year, 50,000 accidents took place in New York factories alone. So you are right. Things And, and that's where I do, that's where revolutionary movements, even if they don't get win an immediate victory, I think they do... Have and, and this is kind of where I see what Martin Luther King was talking about, how the the um, arc of uh, what's that quote? The arc of justice bent, or the arc of what is it of the, time? The moral arc justice? of history bends towards justice. Yes, that's right. So working conditions are better now, and I kind of think same thing with like the civil rights movement, where you know obviously there's still an insane amount of problems affecting the black you know black community black and brown communities like police violence but it is the the civil rights movement in the 50s and 60s definitely did warn massive victories um you know if you look at how jim crow was back then and the amount of lynchings and things like that so it does i guess there, there's more hope there too that even though you might not see this change within your lifetime that it, it is something that people you know i'm super grateful that i can be working on a computer in my home all day rather than being fucking shoved into some factory working 12 hours a day without any air conditioning and shit like that being literally locked in um yeah and even like the tenement conditions um where if many of these workers live um they worked and they lived and they worked all day, seven days a week most times, or, or at least six days. And then they had, like, apartments where it would be, you know, multiple families crowded in a one- or two-bedroom apartment uh, with no electricity, no running water. Uh, you can imagine the conditions that people, you know, not only worked in but lived in. So it was just a, a cesspool um, to bring about disease, plague, uh, high infant mortality rates, uh, and if the kid live long enough to, you know, see their fifth birthday, they go work in the factory or the mine and get black lung and die, die by their seventh birthday. So I, the thing that really makes me so upset about modern uh, Americans is, you know, many of us. I wasn't taught this history or I was only taught a very little bit of it in schools. And I can imagine that nowadays, you know, I'm talking about when I went to school, um, that was <laughs> The late the late 80s, early 90s. So the education system, I think, has only evolved and got probably worse since then. Uh, so these young people nowadays, these little kids who are coming up, are learning the real history unless they have an awesome teacher. Uh, so shout out to all the teachers who are risking their jobs to teach some real history. Um, and it's probably very hard now because certain books are being banned. And notice it's books that you know talk about their experiences 
of um, not the powerful or the elite, uh, but these are people with so-called alternative lifestyles. Or they're, you know, workers. Like, the people's history of the United States, what makes this history book so revolutionary for its time was that it was, it's history told from not the perspective of a president or a king or a ruler, but from the people the who were subject to the whims of those presidents, kings, and rulers of the of the era. So, and this is one of the books that these conservatives hate. And Howard Zinn is a cis white man who was a fucking part of World War II. He's a World War II veteran. He's so-called the greatest generation. And they're like, no, he traded us. He betrayed us. He's talking about, talking about socialism in a positive light. And he's advocating people would be activists. And when he was a professor, he, just didn't, he wasn't just writing about it. He was about that life. He got fired from Spelman College here in Atlanta, Georgia, because it's one of the few places he could teach um, because of his political views. And he got fired because he encouraged the uh, students there to get involved with the civil rights movement. The young women at Spelman. It's scary too. like this, like right wing attack on education isn't just at like the uh, grade school and high school level, too. It's happening at colleges, too. Like I just saw some a story about it was at some college and some and the kid like pulled into the parking lot and the cop pulled him over because he didn't he didn't like fully stop at the stop sign or whatever and a handicapped professor pulled in behind and like told the cop like hey you got to move i need to get by you know because he needed like his handicapped parking spot or whatever and the cop you know just being how cops are was like i'm not moving or whatever and uh the the professor said to like the kid he was like hey i saw you stop at that stop sign if you need like a witness for court or whatever i got you or whatever well the cop got fucking all butthurt about it and like reported it back to the police station and the police station like worked with the school to get this tenured professor fired the the fucking school fired this professor because like basically like and so I'm like it was such like a weird police state story story you know where I'm like god damn we're living in like this fucking crazy police state where like if you just you know you know rub a cop the wrong way you're like whole fucking livelihoods taken away so it's just I don't know it was just a one of those stories where I was like man and even like in college I don't know you're you still you're kind of you gotta hope that you have cool professors and cool teachers um at every level, you know, grade school, high school, and college. I was grateful. My high, For the most part, my high school teachers kind of sucked, so I was happy I had some cool college professors. But it does suck that we, like, live in this system where you basically had to get, like, lucky and sip, slip through the cracks to get an actual education. Because what I loved about this book was, like, you know, he just shows the statistics. The, the way he describes life in America in this book is how the majority of the people in America experience life. You know, it was the experience of 99% of the population where the indoctrination you're given in school, you're taught about the richest people in society and their views and then taught that, like, we should all share the views of those people. And there was another part in this chapter that that kind of stuck out to me that kind of relates to this that I want to talk about. Um, Howard Zinn writes... Uh, The imperial leader of the new oligarchy was the House of Morgan. In its operation, it was ably ably assisted by the First National Bank of New York and the National City Bank of New York. Among them, uh, and then uh, presided, these banks were presided over by James Stillman, um, an agent of the Rockefeller interest, 
And he said among these men and their financial associates, so it's three people who headed these, uh, there was uh, Baker, Stillman, and then Morgan who headed these banks. And he said among these three men and their financial associates occupied 341 directorships in 112 corporations. The total resources of these corporations in 1912 was 22 billion, more than the assets assessed of the value of all property in the 22 states and territories west of the Mississippi. And I think that pertains to today. It's hard like when you're trying to describe to people how I got in an argument recently with someone trying because she was upset that people were making fun of billionaires dying. And I could just tell she doesn't understand the structural nature of things and why billionaires are evil just by being billionaires. And I don't think people comprehend, like, they think, like, oh, a billionaire is someone who just started a pop, you know, a soda company, and and then they got rich because everyone enjoys their soda, and that's it. They don't realize that people at that level, it's there's no way you're making a billion dollars just off one corporation. You are sitting, you know, as he said, they were sitting on the board. They had director position, 341 across 112 corporations. These 1.001 percenters are the ruling class that preside over so many corporations. They they own Coca-Cola, and then they also sit on the board of directors of some banks. Then they're on the board of directors of some, you know, Monsanto, and they, or, and then they got like some hospitals, you know. That, and they that always they the and they always are donating to the cops to make sure that yes. the peasants yep. ever uprise. That the cops can come down and swiftly put them down. So all you people who who are out there, like the police, are probably the the ninety nine percent. They are not. They are the right hand of the oppressor, and they always will be and always have been. As this has this art has this uh, chapter points out to us. I mean, it should be obvious that billionaires shouldn't exist because I mean the way the economy works, like there's not just infinite money like if there's billionaires that means there's thousands of people who have no money basically that's people are they're 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 tricked into not seeing that though because i there are a lot of people because like the people that believe in like meritocracy in the country they think that like there's just like they don't see that like it's, it's you know it's one big pie for everybody and that everybody the entire society is a structure they just think it's oh well if you work hard enough or have a good idea then you can make a shit ton of money so if you're not making billions it's just because you're not smart enough or you're not trying hard enough or working hard enough they don't see that when when a billionaire has a billion dollars that means that there's thousands of his workers that had their wages stolen from them you know they think it like that whole a rising boat lifts or a rising tide lifts all boats like it's it's just this lie that again has been perpetuated by their stooges, you know, like you know, like economics professors and shit. But really, what it actually is is the society is a big pie. So if someone's taking too much, you know, if you're poor, you should be looking at the rich people. That's who's stealing your money. It's not other poor people. Well, yeah, I, I say I, I had this joke like, uh, you know, poor people, you know, most likely if you're gonna they're gonna rob somebody, they're gonna be a fellow per, poor person. A middle class person is going to rob somebody. Most likely, it's going to be a fellow middle class person. Now, when the rich people, um, they rob everybody. <laughs> so that's the difference. Yeah. You know? <laughs> they're not just robbing it; they're barely their peers. They're robbing the poor and the and the working class. And 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 and, and the fact in our society, uh, especially nowadays, um, there's there's lots of schools and trains of thoughts, but the mainstream thinking is that we 
we have a very critical analysis of the, let's go back to what we were talking about the Bernie Sanders campaign and they were demonizing the socialism just like at the turn of the last century um, the powers that be were demonizing socialism because you know God forbid the workers have control of the means of productions and have a say so in, in their work life and actually um, are not spending every waking moment of their existing life um, dedicated to making some rich asshole even richer than what he is or she is or they are um, that they have days off and can spend time with their families and, and, and have hobbies and, and have other pursuits in life besides working to make money. But um, it was a very critical analysis of you know the Bernie Sanders campaign and every you know station is like, how are we going to pay for universal health care? That's socialism. How are we going to pay for student loan for, you know cancellation? That's socialism. How are we going to pay for Medicare for all? Socialism. And we never, we the Biden administration has given billions to the Ukraine um, government, Ukrainian government, uh, for a proxy war with Russia. And I'm pretty sure um, any of the mainstream news uh, agencies are not the least bit being critical about um, how we're going to pay for this. Where is this money coming from? Uh, the whole debt ceiling, the whole thing was like, we need to cut these social programs. That's the problem. You know what the problem is? Giving kids food. That's, that, that's what's making us broke. Not fucking a trillion dollars a year on a defense budget that's dedicated to basically destroying uh, people for the profit of a few um, weapons contractors who are, you know, charging the government a thousand percent markup on weapons and other systems because we got to keep America safe. So this is the same thing. The, the At the turn of the last century, these labor organizers, I think, or some of the fucking most brave people to, you know, exist in yeah. American history. Um, Besides, like the slaves who you know have rays of rebellion, um, not just like the Nat Turner rebellions, but the slave ma- the slave who would like you know slowly but surely poison their master <laughs> year after year. And it's like, oh, master, you're sick again. Oh man, that's so sad. Oh, let me get you some more tea and put some little rat poison in that tea. And here you go, master. Hope you feel better. <laughs> it, it, it it is. It's it's insane how brave some of these union organizers were and people fighting for their rights and stuff because i mean he talks about in the chapter like there were several you know it was common corporations would send the police out and they would just start shooting and fucking killing people and you know nowadays it's like a little more mechanized so like just like a militarized swat force will just kind of you know beat people and put them in paggy wagon send away where like back then it was a little more chaotic they weren't quite as well organized and shit so they'd just be shooting people and like so, like, it, that's also, like, covered up in American history is, like, how many people had to fucking die and how, like, brave they were to, like, be out in the streets. Just wait. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Right. Exactly, yeah, I know. exactly. I know. I know. There is not militarizing the police for no reason. Uh, we could thank uh, a, a Joseph R. Biden uh, for doing that. You could just have to read all the liberals who might listen. They're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Biden is not. He's a decent man. He's a piece of shit. He's a racist. He's a rapist. And he's horrible. I don't care how much Obama cosigns him. Uh, that means if it talks like a, if you hang out with shitty people, you might be a shitty person yourself. So if Obama hangs out with Biden, Obama might be a shitty person himself. And judging by his public record as a politician, he's pretty. He just kept the empire going, um, business as usual. So uh, the did, only thing, did you, go ahead. Did you guys see that that the the um, the victim who Joe Biden raped that what was her name? 
something Tyree, Reed, right? Terry. Yeah. Um, she's stuck in Russia now because she went there to for like part of a book tour, and they basically like told her like like don't come back or we're gonna charge you. You know, they they made that. Oh, you're going to visit Russia. That means you know you're doing espionage or whatever. So like, don't come back. We want we can't guarantee your safety. So now she's like basically stuck in fucking Russia. Um, so that's what's funny. There's so many ill-informed people that think that only see what the Democrats and Republicans say. And so they think because they're on the like the Democrats sound nicer. They sound more empathetic. They like think that Democrats are nice. But Democrats are fucking mob gangster fucking ruthless killers just like Republicans. Yeah. You know? Just like Republican politicians. And that's case in point. Like this dude's like this chick is credibly accusing him of rape. And so like the first chance they get, oh, she's out of the country. All right. You know. Well, the perfect chance. Now we're going to fucking never allow her to come home. And not to mention you know? that they demonized her. And her story, I believe her story, because I'm like, well, how she described what went down, it was so weird and fucked up. I'm like, you could be a great writer and write fiction and stuff like that, but sometimes some things are so strange that you're like, you didn't, you didn't fucking... That, that, you can't make that shit up. Like, he literally yeah. grabbed this woman by the pussy. Basically, what Donald Trump said he does... Biden did like he literally that's what she accused him of doing and it wasn't like consensual it wasn't like oh yeah Biden you can come get something it was like he forced yourself on her and it's a record a track record um, before he became the front runner when Obama basically swooped in and saved his shitty campaign um, people were there was credible other uh, allegations against um, Joe Biden well wasn't wasn't his wife the wife he has now he, he like started dating her quote unquote she was like young as fuck and she, he was like still married to his ex-wife wasn't she like still a teenager she was like 19 or some shit i don't know she was like super young and he was like in his like 40s or something so we're gonna take the guy who has multiple you know rape allegations against him who's like on so many videos being like creepy as fuck around like younger women and stuff too like it's just but brian brian the thing is but some people will make excuses for it I had a friend who, who, oh, I know. who That's works what I mean. who works in this industry and like you know was at the White House and like she's a young woman. I mean you know pretty sure she's not bad looking or anything like that. But she like you know I I, I was just joking like oh you met the president you met President Biden did he, did he grope you? He kind of like his hand lingered on my you know backside like lower back for a little bit. It was it was a little weird. But you know he's just an old man. I'm like no he's not. That's fucking. If I did that or someone else at the job did that, you'd be like what the fuck calling HR and be like. He needs to be fired. Like, when you guys made him president because he has connections and power. So that's, even with Trump, like, if, if it was if it was some, some regular guy, like, talking about, yeah, I grab him by the pussy all the time, we'd be like, put him in fucking jail, lock him up, he's a rapist. But we made, we made these people president. That's what's so sad, is there's so many people who will call out Trump for his disgusting ba- behavior, but then anything Biden does, they sweep it under the rug. I mean, the same thing with, like, you know, like, the kids in cages thing. Like, anytime there was a Republican president, all of a sudden, all these Democrats and their lackeys, oh, my God, kids in cages, kids in cages. Oh, now we're president. Oh, now those are, you know, facilities. And, you know, like, and they don't ever, you know, where's AOC's fake pictures of her crying at the cages now? You know, <laughs> like, oh, that just completely went away. Oh, yeah, she gave, she's giving him a, a roaring endorsement. But the thing is, what I do like about this chapter is he calls out um, some of the, the, the leadership of the union um, because you think, all right, the people organizing um, unions are good. And and sometimes um, mechanisms designed to, you know, be for the will of the people. 
can be imperfect themselves. And he talked about the um, the uh, I AFL. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of like that too, because what? So there was the AFL, which was the American Federation of Labor, and that was the long-standing union. And he kind of talks about all the corruption and how it manifested and stuff, and how it like really wasn't effective for workers. And then in response to that, the IWW was formed, the Industrial Workers of the World, and that was led by uh, Big Bill Hayward, um, who was an awesome badass um, in his own right. Um, but he kind of, I, I like that, that he talks about that, like, not only did they have to unionize at the time, but they kind of had to re, they had to set up new unions because the old ones had become so corrupt. And I think that's true nowadays, especially with like the Chicago, you know, for example, my wife's a teacher in Chicago. So the Chicago Teachers Union, like in my eyes, that union is like barely a union, you know, like it's been so long and so established that it'll like fight for like bare minimum shit, but it doesn't like fight for things as hard as it should. You know what I mean? And I I, th- I kind of think like not only do we need to keep unionizing this country, but we kind of need to also shake up the established unions, um, because I mean he talks about in the chapter how that the AFL the the old union ship had it, it was racist too like it wouldn't it was all white and it like wouldn't accept women I I think at first, and it was kind of it, it it was just not effective. Yeah, they were only like looking out for like professional laborers, like um, carpenters, mm-hmm. so called skilled laborers. Uh, versus all laborers, um, so yeah, they in the in industrial uh, workers of the world, the Wobblies, uh, how they were called, um, they 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 were undivided by race, sex, or skills, and they argued that uh, making contracts with the employer because this had often uh, so often prevented workers from striking on their own or in sympathy with other strikers, and thus turn union people into strike breakers. Uh, negotiations were uh, negotiations by leaders for contract replaced uh, continuous struggles by the rake and foul, the Wabas believe. So they, they were a union of direct action. And I personally like unions like this, and this is kind of what we see with the Starbucks uh, unionization and the unionization of uh, Amazon, which is one of the largest employers, not in just the United States, but pr- across the globe. Um, yeah, you got to shake up because one of these institutions get old and established, um, the leadership of them get, you know, they get fat, and, and rich and profitable and, and gain power and they become corrupted just like every other institution. So um, Thomas Jefferson, I hate to quote him because he was a, a horrible piece of shit slave master. <laughs> um, but you know, in the Constitution in some of his writings, he talked about a, a revolution every 20 years to overthrow the existing system because once something becomes established too long, it inevitably becomes uh, corrupt. So you have to dismantle it and rebuild it back up. Um, so obviously he was speaking it for that about like, I don't want to pay taxes to the King of England. I want to be, I want to be the ruler, <laughs> but you, you can take that language in and you can make it apply to all um, people looking for um, social change and, and revolution, not just um, the elites. So uh, one of the things I liked about the IWW compared to my own experience with direct action so I like me, yeah, me and Brian did stuff with Extinction Rebellion. Direct actions are typically things that maybe, possibly you'll get arrested for. So it was kind of sad because there weren't a lot of us, you know. So it's like, what are you risking getting arrested for? But the IWW, 
they would just come with so many numbers, so many people would get arrested, the jails would get completely filled up, and then they'd just keep going until they got what they wanted, and in a lot of cases, they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then uh, we're not we're not going to say that they're, you know, this is all rainbows and butterflies, and they, they won just by, you know, um, being scrappy and struggle. Um, as Howard Zan pointed out, there were beatings, there were tarring and featherings, there were defeats. Um, and some people were killed. So this was not a bloodless uprising at the uh, turn of the last century. No, not at all. I mean, if <laughs> it kind of it it, it kind of seems like one of those situations where like you keep losing until you win. You know, mm-hmm. like you yeah. keep people keep getting locked up, keep getting locked up, keep getting killed, but you just don't stop and you just keep going, and that's finally when because the the system first only they'll. The, the only thing they'll pay attention to is if you hurt their pocketbooks, if you hurt their money. Then if you hurt their money, they're going to bring on the violence to make you stop. Then if they bring on the violence and they still can't fix the problem, then you've won. Then you have them. And that's kind of, you know, what the ID, IWW t- teaches us. And I recommend reading the book because, I mean, he goes on for pages about, like, all the different actions they did. And there's plenty of books you can read about the Wobblies and stuff. And it's truly super inspiring. Um and, you know, hopefully more <laughs> more people throughout time, uh, or at least in this country, more people start learning that history because I have a feeling it'll be very useful <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. now and, and, and in the near future. But we could talk about one of your defeats. Um, you talked about 1916 in Everett, Washington. A boatload of Wobblies were fired on by 200 armed vigilantes gathered by the sheriff, and five Wobblies were shot to death, 31 wounded, two of the vigilantes were killed, 19 wounded the following year the year the united states entered world war one vigilantes in montana seized iww organizer frank little tortured him hanged him and lead his left his body dangling from the railroad uh, trestle um so this is you know it was it was dangerous organizing labor and there were always and that also showed there were always people not just the police but also, uh, I call them corporate suck-ups or sycophants um, or, or, or class traders who would side with the, you know, oppressor to put down the, you know, their average, their fellow citizens because, you know, they got a little more power. So they're like, you're not going to fucking, it's kind of like the small business owners. Um, they, 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 they support corporate greed because one day they want to be a corporation. So I have no problem with someone who has a, a, a restaurant or a a, a, a ice cream stand or a food truck or something like that. But when their goal is to basically like, I want to, you know, basically franchise and build it up. And your goal is basically become a corporation. So you can be too big to fill. So when you fuck up, you can get bailed out by the government. But like if, if somebody, me or you, Brian, or you, Steve, if we get bankrupt or, you know, we get sick and we can't work anymore and, and we lose our livelihood and barely have a place to live, we can't go to the government like, hey, you know, we fucked up. And if we do, we got to go through so many hoops to get any type of little bit of benefits. And as we talked about on the Schizophrenic Reads uh, podcast, um, when you do have um, government benefits, they put you through hoops to get it. And they give you so little benefits that it's barely enough to get by. And then you're kind of stuck in that because if you get a job or get any type of other money, they're going to be like, well, you're, you're good now. And it's like, well, I still have I'm still fucked up. I still need a bit I need a bit lifting up. And we call that handouts in this country. But when big business fucks up and get bailed out by taxpayer dollars, you know, it's it's called good business. It's called being a smart businessman. They give their 
um, board of executives fucking golden parachutes for fucking up the economy. So it's really, and it, there'll be people who defend it, regular everyday people. And, you know, want to be small businessmen and women who, who defend this bullshit because they think one day they'll get a PPE loan that will be forgiven. Because <laughs> there was some asshole on Twitter who was like, pay your debts when the student loan decision came out, when Biden's half-ass measure got, you know, tossed out by the court, which is why you go balls in and just be like, I'm going to cancel all student loan debt. Not just this means-tested 20000 for some people and 10000 for other people. Just cancel it all. Um, and where's that money going to come from? It, it's owed to the government. They can just, they forgive their own debts all the fucking time. It's the fucking government. The fucking, the, the fed print. We talked about that on our debt episode, so you can listen to that. Shout out to the debt episode. But that's just kind of what I'm saying. There's always like class traders who will side with the right arm of the oppressor to put down their fellow working men and women and individuals. And I think we see a lot of those groups forming in the present day. Like you, you see all these like right wing groups who are standing out in the streets with assault rifles, rifles now, and it's just like, oh yeah, the you could just boys. There's this exact situation that you just read is going to happen. Yeah, well, it did happen yeah. just a few years ago with that little fuck Kyle Rittenhouse. I went there to go protect some property, and he like it killed some people, and like people were like standing like he did the right thing because like one of these guys happened to have a record of being like a, a pedo, but it's like that was just convincing coincidence that that person could have been, and it's like look. He killed somebody. I don't care if they did some horrible shit in their life or like they were a saint. That that shouldn't matter. And I don't know why it's like these in this country do these like victims who are more deserving than other victims. You know, someone gets like sexually assaulted, even if that person is like a terrible human being, something bad to them happened. They don't have to be like fucking Mother fucking Teresa. And if we want to be honest, Mother Teresa was not as saintly as people think. She was. She has some terrible views mm-hmm. and. and was fucking over people yep. too. So, so, so even the people you think are so saintly are pieces of shit uh, half the time, especially if the mainstream embraced them. Because uh, usually they embrace embrace assholes like themselves. But I digress. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is that we have these reactionary forces and they're arming everyday citizens uh, to be uh, part of these reactionary forces to basically stand for the powers that be. Here's protecting property. Like, that's what Kyle Rittenhouse shot people. And these, and these vigilantes came together. And I, I noticed that these vigilantes are okay. But when people riot and, like, you know, what they did on uh, uh, Michigan Avenue back in 2020, when they uh, ransacked the, um, the Magnificent Mile, and all the people on Facebook from Chicago, all of them were clutching their pearls, like, how can I do this? And they're just getting the wrong message. But that was vigilante justice. They weren't, you know, when the people ride, they're like, they always destroy their own community and where they live it. And I'm like, well, half the time, they don't even own anything in those communities. They got slumlords. So it's not really their own shit. They don't own anything there because they're fucking poor. But instead, they did. They did. They took the fucking fire to the elite and the rich in their own part of town and and fucking burn their shit down and fucking ransack their shit. And they're like, oh, not that way either. But that was vigilantes. But when vigilante like Kyle Rittenhouse shoots some people for fucking practicing their First Amendment rights. He's a hero. And that fucking asshole, he's 18 now. He's over 18 now. And that fucker has not joined the Marine Corps or the Army. So I'm like, you want to protect some fucking property? Why don't you go protect property for Uncle Sam and take your ass fucking to the recruiter office and sign up? Oh, well, he's not going to do that because he's making $100,000 going to speak at fucking an NRA conference or some shit like that. Yeah, some hero you, he is. You, you see that. So many of these right-wing fascist groups like the Proud Boys or, you know, whatever, the Three Percenters or the Oath Keepers, all these fucking losers, they're just, like, filled 
with like lonely men who just like wish you know they like want to be like you know a war hero or something they're too scared to actually go do that exactly so they like want to like act it out and just like you know it's a lot easier to like kyle rittenhouse it's a lot easier to shoot at people who aren't armed than to serve in the military and actually go fight people who are armed you know against you yeah, they might shoot back so i don't like that <laughs> i might get shot myself right i want to be like right. fucking clean eastwood <laughs> but i don't want people shooting back at me right um on the flip side of these assholes i did want to there were two one was a speech and one was an article written in one of the wobbly newspapers but i did want to read them because i just found them super cool and inspiring um the first one um howard zinn writes the same year in aberdeen washington once again laws against free speech arrests prison and and unexpected victory one of the men arrested, Stumpy Payne, a carpenter, farmhand, and editor at an IWW newspaper, wrote about the experience of the protest. He writes, Here they were, 18 men in the vigor of life, most of whom came long distances through snow and hostile towns by beating their way, penniless and hungry, into a place where a jail sentence was the gentlest treatment that could be expected and where many had already been driven into the swamps and beaten nearly to death. Yet here they were, laughing with boyish, boyish glee and tragic, at tragic things that to them were jokes. But what was the motive behind the actions of these men? Why were they there? Is the call of brotherhood in the human race greater than any fear of discomfort? discomfort? Despite the efforts of the masters of life for 6,000 years to root out the call of brotherhood from our minds... And that kind of reminds me of, like, the Che Guevara quote about, like, revolutionaries at their core have love in their heart and love for their brothers and sisters. And I think that's true of all, you know, true revolutionaries is it, it comes you, you, you uh, there's another famous quote that you can bear any amount of pain as long as that pain has meaning. And I think that's important with revolutionary movements that, like, it, it's from a you, you care so much about people that you're willing to do all this you know, horrific shit to to make lives better for other people. And I also think it goes to show, you know, we're taught in this capitalist system that like, oh, humans by nature are greedy and competitive and will stab each other in the back. And I I almost see it as the I don't think we have any one true nature. I think we're products of our environment. But if anything, I think it leads the other way. I think people by nature under see a common humanity in other people and it it has to be taught and propaganda you know propaganda against that idea to get people to start you know treating each other so shitty like we do sometimes and i kind of think at our core you know when we're children um if we're, if we're taught to to show empathy that it's a very strong intuition and there's many examples um in our history where people are actually compassionate and empathetic despite all odds despite uh, you know living in a violent system no and it's in this chapter and this time of history teaches us that um because i think one of the other things is the way we learn history and i think i talked about this on an earlier uh history podcast um is that only these few extraordinary people stood up and, and changed the world when there was countless 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 numbers of everyday regular people um, who had nothing, who got to a point where they felt like they had nothing to lose because they they felt that they had no no dignity in the society and wanted to change it uh, because all people, you know, want respect 
and, and dignity and want to live with dignity and respect and just, you know, kind of have a fair shake at life. Uh, that's that's all I think a lot of people, a critical mass of people want. And unfortunately, we're always we've always been surrounded by assholes and, and we've been ruled by assholes, a critical mass of them. And there's a critical mass of assholes who want to be part of the ruling class. So they'll do whatever they need to be to be part of that ruling class. Um, or to suck up to that ruling class because one day they might be invited to that that party. But like George Carlin said, it's a big club and you ain't in it. So uh, whether it's these proud boys who are basically low-key working for the cops or the FBI or whatever, or or these or the cow-ridden houses of the world, you're never really going to be invited to the the party. And they might let one of you in, but the rest of you are not going to be. But um, I think... On the flip side, there are every these these stories in this um, chapter show that it was brave men and women and individuals who who believed in something. They wanted a better world, and they did everything in their power to make it to make it better. And some didn't live to see their uh, fruits of their labors, but it just shows that collectively, everyday people can come together and and do some amazing shit. Because as Steve mentioned earlier, um, compared to the turn of the last century. Um, working conditions for workers have improved by a, a, a leaps and bounds. Now, that doesn't mean we should rest on our laurels and be like, the work is done because there are still many people in many industries um, who are working in vile conditions. Um, Brian and I spoke about that in the, the, our um, animal agriculture um, episode where we talked about the meat packing factories and the conditions that um, some of the farm workers who pick our fruits and vegetables, have the conditions that they have to, to live in, being forced to pick uh, fruits by gun and fruits and vegetables by gunpoint um, in, in the slaughterhouses. Uh, just the 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 dangerous conditions that people work in, the the, the dangerous, crowded, disease-ridden conditions that we have our our food, our meat source uh, put in, and, and basically you know giving these animals torturous lives um, before they're you know before they're killed for their flesh, um, and the, and the demoralization it does for the people who work in these industries and the powerless they feel. Um, and that they deserve to be, you know, rights and dignities, just like those creatures deserve to live full, full lives. Uh, even as people do like slaughter them for, for food, you know, our food supply isn't, it's not like babe, <laughs> it's not a farm. So it's not like that anymore, <laughs> but, uh, I'm getting off the point. I'm talking about babe now, but the point is, is that everyday people can, uh, collectively do things. And I, I like the whole question, the, the story about the Joe Hill who was a uh, wobbly who was executed by a firing squad. And he written Bill Haywood before his death. And he says, don't waste any time mourning for me. Organize. And that's some fucking true revolutionary shit. This guy knew that what he stood for, he's going to die for it. He died for his beliefs. He died for what he thought was right. And he was like, don't waste any time being sad for me mourning. Um, keep on organizing because another world is possible. And I think sometimes we can get down into the doom and gloom and be like, there's nothing we can do. And I'm reminded of this because I, I saw I saw a video with Hassan Minaj, the um, Hassan Minaj, how do you say his name? The um, comedian from The Daily Show who had a show on Netflix. That guy. Oh, okay, I don't know. I didn't see it. Oh, okay. it I haven't watched The Daily Show in a long time. Well, he's time. not on The Daily Show anymore. <laughs> he has his own thing. I think he has a podcast. He had a show on Netflix. He's a pretty boy. My, my wife likes him. She, I think she likes just looking at him. But anyway, he was sitting there with Obama, and Obama was talking about, oh, my little daughter Malia. Well, not little daughter. She's like 24 now. But anyway, he was like, my daughter Malia and her friends are all like, climate change is hopeless, and there's nothing we can do. And he basically boiled it down to like, there are incremental changes that we can do to make things better. 
And it's like, that was like, climate change, we're all going to die. Don't be hopeless, but there's incremental changes. It's like, fuck that. Like, there incremental changes. Yes, if you're, a def- if you're a fatalist, then incremental change sounds great. But these folks were not fatalists. They were like, oh, well, working conditions can be way worse than what they already are. We could be slaves. At least we could pay something. That's like a fatalist idea. But if you're like, no, a better world is possible. We can organize and get fucking weekends off. We can get a four day. People originally, it was a four day, three day weekend that people were fighting for. And a two day weekend was a compromise. So all these asshole libertarians nowadays and these Republicans and these uh, conservative Democrats who are just like, capital is everything and we need to get deregulate everything and business needs to be that. All you fuckers who have the time to think and go on vacation and have a weekend and hang out with your fucking you know, spouse or go you know, play golf or whatever fucking bullshit you want to do. You could think a bunch of radical communists, socialists, anarchists, and everyday people who stood up and demanded better working conditions. And fucking people shed blood to get those working conditions. So Labor Day isn't just about barbecuing, fucking some bratwurst and, and drinking some beer. Uh, Labor Day, which should be, we should celebrate it on May Day, May 1st, like the rest of the world. But that's just to separate us from international solidarity. And I liked in this chapter, you brought that up about um, the workers talking about the general strike in Spain. Arco, um, I'm not going to say this word correctly, syndicivalism was developing strongly in Spain, Italy, and France at this time. The workers would take power not by seizing the state machinery and armed rebellion, but by bringing the economic system to a halt in the general strike and then taking it over to use for the good of all. And uh, one of the organizers from the Wobblies uh, kind of talked about the a general strike. And there's been talks of a general strike going on for years um, since the rise of COVID. But pardon me, we saw during the pandemic, at the height of the pandemic, uh, the, ascent, the people who were most vital to this thing going as smoothly as possible, and many people were able to like kind of work from home or shelter in home or shelter in place was was the workers it was like the people who the essential workers those jobs that we look turn our nose up and think oh there's unskilled laborers they're not important it was those folks the only white collars folks who were really busting their ass during the height of covid were like the medical professionals um but other professionals they got to sit their ass at home and chill out or work from home um it was the essential workers the so-called unskilled labor the undesirable laborers the the grocery store workers the maintenance men the, the 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 sanitation workers, the people working to keep on, you know, keep your power to your home and stuff like that. Those individuals, those essential workers, if they decide to have a a fucking general strike, the country, the entire economic system would grind to a halt. So we have people like we can look up the the asshole sycophants look up to like Elon Musk and and Jeff Bezos and they created things from nothing and blah, blah. and they're just trust fund babies who bought their way into like glory. Um, but the everyday workers just decided to like generally strike. They would bring the economic system to its knees. Well, it might be there might be a spark for that. I don't know if you saw, but like uh, talks with the UPS, uh, UPS union workers are like not going well with ownership, and they might be going. There's I forgot they got almost like a half a million employees or something that might be going on strike and. UPS and like this society is such a, a valuable service like everybody's getting shit delivered to their house all the time so if they if that suddenly ground to a halt and then other people you know kind of caught on to that hopefully that's a, a spark that'll that'll spread um but I did want to read another cool uh quote from a wobbly this um 
This was in San Diego in 1912. Jack White, a wobbly, arrested in a free speech fight, was sentenced to six months in the county jail on a bread and water diet. Uh, He was asked if he had anything to say to the court, and a stenographer recorded what he said. Following, the the prosecuting attorney, in his plea to the jury, accused me of saying on a public platform and a public meeting, to hell with the courts, we know what justice is. He told a great truth when he lied, for he had searched the innermost recesses of my mind. He could have found that thought, never expressed by me before, but which I express now. To hell with your courts, I know what justice is. For I have sat in your courtroom day after day and have seen members of my class pass before this, this so-called bar of justice. I have seen Judge Sloan and others of your kind send them to prison because they dared to infringe upon the sacred rights of property. You have become blind and deaf to the rights of man to pursue life and happiness, and you have crushed those rights so that the sacred right of property shall be preserved. Then you will tell me to respect the law. I do not. I did violate the law, as I will violate every one of your laws and still come before you and say to hell with the courts. The prosecutor lied, but I will accept his lie as truth and say again so that you, Judge Sloan, may be mistaken as to my attitude. To hell with your courts. I know what justice is. And I kind of had this same feeling when I had to when I had my experience in court, um, when I had to go in for being arrest, uh, arrested for weed. And I sat in there and I had to wait like an hour while I watched all these people go and speak to the judge before me. And just all of them were all stupid drug charges or you could tell petty thefts, things like people. I could just see before my eyes this like line of poor people going to head before this honorable judge who was, you know, deciding their fate and all these different. And it was so funny, too, because so much of the punishments were more fines. So it's like people who are in there because they're poor, you just slap them with more fines. And it just it, it really sickened me. And it really turned me off to the whole judicial system. Um, I mean, that was one of many reasons that I was turned off to the judicial system. (laughs) But it's just, I don't know, it's just funny how some things, you know, never change. Like we're taught that these like laws are, are so honorable, but really, they're just there to protect the property of the rich. And they time and time again, will turn against people that are trying to improve actually improve the lives for people. I've had similar experience in court, but also, and I, and you guys have talked about it on other episodes, but, uh, Michelle Alexander's book, the new Jim Crow, when she's talking about the court systems and just how, I mean, it's just like, so Orwellian it, they call it the justice system, but it's like the exact opposite. And so like when this guy says, you know, to hell with your courts, I know what justice is that, that rings true. Yeah. No, I like as Huey P. Newton said, um, it's not the criminal justice system. It's the criminal injustice uh, system. Yeah. I like, too, how the Wobblies even were able to see kind of the role that the church plays in upholding the system. Um, there's this cool little excerpt with this song that they made. Um, Howard Zinn writes, uh, Joe Hill, an IWW organizer, wrote dozens of songs, biting, funny, class consciousness, inspiring that appeared in IWW publications and in, and in its Little Red Songbook. He became a legend in his time and after. His song, The Preacher and the Slave, had a favorite IWW target, the church. The song went, Long-haired preachers come out every night, try to tell you what's wrong and what's right. 
but when asked how about something to eat, they will answer with voices so sweet, you will eat by and by in that glorious land above the sky, work and pray, live in hay, you'll get pie in the sky when you die. And that's a big problem that I have with church too, is that it's like, oh, well, if your life sucks now, that's okay, because when you die, you'll go to heaven. It doesn't ever, you know, present you with like material ways to actually improve this life that you that we know we have right now. And I just thought it was cool that the IWW, you know, had this cool artist that kind of pointed that out. <laughs> the one more thing I wanted to talk about, because I think it kind of relates today too, and this was this idea, it was called back then Taylorism. Um, Frederick W. Taylor had been a steel company foreman who closely analyzed every job in the mill and worked out a system of finely detailed division of labor, increased mechanization, and piecework wage system to increase production and profits. In 1911, he published a book on scientific management that became powerfully influential in the business world. Now management could control every detail of the workers' energy and time in the factory. As Harry Braveman said, the purpose of Taylorism was to make workers interchangeable, able to do the simple tasks that the new division of labor required, like standard parts divested of individuality and humanity, bought and sold as commodities. And I wanted to bring that up because I think there's kind of two parts to that. One, I think that's happening now on steroids. I mean, you see it in Amazon. Yep, I was about to say it sounds like Amazon. AI, exactly, and surveillance to track every single little movement of their employees. Like they're literally trying to, and this isn't just Amazon. This is happening all over the society, where businesses are trying to track. You know, I constantly see it with like work from home employees where they're. Their owners are buying new technology so they can monitor what they're doing on their computer and things. And they're literally trying to control every single solitary moment of your existence to get you to behave in the way they want you to behave. And they want to turn you into robots. And I think that's kind of funny. I mean, Lornette, you brought up, you know, the the essential workers and how they're kind of looked down upon on this society, these people that don't have you know, advanced technical skills about something that they're interchangeable within the workplace. But they look down at these people that were created by capitalists. Capitalists want this type of worker. They want so-called unskilled workers who they can interchangeably, you know, move in and out. That was something that they created. And then they have the gall to like shit on these people, you know, when it's something that they created. So I just thought this Taylorism, you know, now we can call it Bezoism or whatever the fuck we want, but it's just this constant never-ending battle of, like, the ownership class to control every little movement yeah. of American and, society. And I, I, Parents do that with their kids <laughs> nowadays. Yep, yeah. yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm in the chapter, he talked about the, the women garment workers, that, you know, every aspect of their time at work was monitored, even how long they went to the restroom. I'm like, you know, what if someone had to take a shit or something like that you know and it's like you got some fucking guard standing out there like oh five minutes that's too long you gotta hurry up wrap up or you're gonna fucking get your pay doc it's yeah and, and, they start analyzing the feces in the toilet exactly you ate too much for lunch <laughs> exactly <Yeah>. your <laughs> lunch break you know your lunch break your, your any type of break and, and one of the things is is that you know you talked about um amazon and, and all this um th- that that is the goal um to completely um monopolize your entire existence with work uh to make 
to make capitalists even richer. Um, you know, because there's always the smug people who are like, oh, you want socialism? Well, there's no iPhones in socialism because, like, fucking capitalism made that iPhone. No, like I said before, fucking the workers made those iPhones, all right? The fucking workers made those shirts that you're wearing, the glasses that you're wearing, the, you know, a worker picked the food that you're eating, a worker built your house. If a system other than capitalism made our phones, our phone would last, like, 50 years exactly <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you know the innovation of capitalism is for iphones and androids to be to become basically exactly the same fucking phone but innovation because because they are and the and the battery dies the minute your payment plan ends. exactly or, or you know after a couple of years the data gets so big oh you need a new phone upgrade for more room because we could have made a phone with that much with memory but we didn't because like we knew in a couple of years your phone would be obsolete so you can't keep your phone longer than two years or even one year. Did you, did you guys in Europe? Did you see how in Europe, um, they're, they're passing a law that Apple has to start making their phone so that you can change out the battery. They like have to make that switch. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like two I years saw, ago. I saw an ad like a, it, it wasn't like an actual commercial. It was like an ad from a while ago though, and it was a company made a phone where it it kind of looked like a pegboard and each aspect of the phone was like modularized and you could customize your phone by adding these different modules to it so if like you were someone who like like photography more or something you could put like a better camera module onto it and it's like of course this phone didn't make it because a phone like that where you can just replace the parts however you want over and over again would last forever and there's not as much profit in the design like that so it's and, and, you know. and the crazy thing about our technology is like we extract so much resources for this and then we and then we make it and then we just tell people to just throw it away. And it's like it's like gold and platinum in our fucking phones and, and, and computers and TVs, flat screen TVs. It's like technology. And if we were a, not a, a species, if capitalism was about just consuming, consuming, consuming till there's nothing left, we would just recycle these old electronics to make our new electronics. Because I think about like. All the old video game systems on the head, I'm assuming that if I didn't drop them off at Best Buy or something like that, they ended up in the landfill. Just like, you know, going back into the earth when those same metals and materials can be reused again to make new electronics. So it's just like it's such a wasteful, wasteful uh, we system. Did, uh, uh, I work in automation and we actually did do, we made a couple of machines for Apple that you know, you would put the old Apple phone in there and our machine or literally like ripped it apart in a specific way to get all the reusable parts that they wanted to recycle. But you know, a lot of people just throw away their phone once they, once it's old. Yeah. 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 It was a, I bring it up because it was kind of a fun machine watching it rip apart. These oh, that's phones. pretty cool. I mean, it, it, we, it should be mandatory <laughs> that we like recycle our, and then we should make it very easy for folks to recycle their, their tech waste um, yeah. because is valuable yeah. materials in there, but you know, I guess you can't have little kids in fucking Congo digging up cobalt um, for a fucking Apple or a fucking Horizon or a fucking whatever tech company mm-hmm. who makes iPhones or some shit like that. So, because um, you just need to. Oh, and wouldn't that be a shame if kids didn't have to toil away in the dirt and mud? <laughs> Yeah, for fucking minerals. For minerals. I know. What a horrible existence. Yeah. And like, uh, is that one meme that's real sad but funny? 
like with AI basically making art, like, you know, writing songs and writing poems and, and doing pictures and shit like that. So it was like a robot fucking doing art and like some worker going to like a mine. So I'm like, shouldn't, shouldn't, I'm like, what, shouldn't we have machines going like mines and shit like that and fucking extract things? Yeah. Like, why are we fucking, we still sending people down fucking to like go work in mines and shit like that. Instead, AI is making fucking art and shit. Like, this is insane. And it's, yeah, it's barely making art. Oh, it's just ripping people off. It's just ripping other real yeah, artists exactly. off. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the thing is, some of this shit is getting so good, like, even experts are getting fooled by some of the AI art. Yeah. Um, well, I think, uh, so the best way to end this particular episode, so we're going to do, this is this was a long chapter, so probably next week we'll release the this the second half an episode discussing the second half but um towards the middle of the chapter here he starts talking about how the momentum of socialism is picking up picking up around the country um so i think it probably be best to end this episode on um when he's describing that increase in popularity of socialism and socialist leaders um howard zinn writes Eugene Debs had become a socialist while in jail in the Pullman car strikes. Now he was the spokesperson of a party that made him its presidential candidate five times. The party at one time had 100,000 members and 1,200 office holders in 340 municipalities. Its main newspaper, Appeal to Reason, for which Debs wrote, had half a million subscribers, and there were many other socialist newspapers around the country, so that altogether, perhaps over a million people read the socialist press. Socialism moved out from small circles of city immigrants, Jewish and German socialists speaking their own languages, and became American. The strongest socialist state organization was in Oklahoma, which in 1914 had 12,000 dues-paying members, more than that of New York State, and elected over 100 socialists to local office, including six to the Oklahoma state legislature. There were 55 weekly socialist newspapers in Oklahoma, Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, and summer and summer encampments that drew thousands of people. So, we're talking about Oklahoma in the early 1900s having a ton of elected officials that were socialists. So I think that's inspiring, you know, for the future you know, we see, you know, right now there's like no socialist members at least you know in like the the house or the congress or whatever. Um, but that doesn't mean it's not possible. There was a time a hundred years ago where this shit was on the move, where it was on the up and up and there were socialist leaders getting recognized all over the country. And I do think I did have a little bit of hope recently. Lornette and I have talked about how like a lot, sometimes I feel like I'm in Trump, uh, country, you know, but I was hanging out with my neighbors for the first time recently and they were you know they were cool they were more lefties and they were talking about you know all the problems with the school board and stuff and they were talking about other people in the neighborhood who kind of shared our political views and stuff and i do kind of think we are you know like that silent majority we're like we're out there it's just fucking dumb masses are loud as fuck and always shouting we're like cool people you know we're not flying a joe biden flag or like some stupid shit like trumpers are always you know have a trump flag so they're like easily visible so i do think we're out there um, and, you know, hopefully we can uh, start forming uh, some organizations so that we can organize a little better because we're we're not um, outnumbered. We're out organized. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Like I said, we'll do a part two of this history edition, probably release that next week. 
Um, so uh, definitely make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Q Culture, Q-U-E Culture. There you can see we post our um, the episodes as well as uh, articles about each episode that we discuss. Um, you can also check out Lornette's blog, The Evolving Man Project. Um, and if you want to... Um, if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a like or a review on whatever platform you listen to uh, just to help get us noticed. Uh, thanks again for listening, and remember to question everything. Everything. Any views or opinions expressed on this podcast belong solely to Brian Lornette and Steve and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that Brian Lornette and Steve may or may not be associated with in any professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.